But I just thought, oh, no, little Claire spent all that time just desperately trying to please everyone. And I never could understand why. Yeah. And now I sort of understand it. And I never, I don't want to use it as an excuse. And it's very difficult to them when you do something wrong, not wrong. Do you know what I mean? You do something I do, that's yeah. perceived as a mistake or wrong and you go oh god it's the idea and then you're like well, I can't blame it or I don't want to sound like I'm blaming you on the ADHD but it is probably because of the ADHD and thank you for joining me for the way forward podcast brought to you by me fliss goldsmith and co-design coaching where we create your optimal life together so today i am super glad to be joined by the inimitable claire frusett who joins us across the ether from sittingbourne am i right claire you are right, sitting born, yeah. Fabulous. Now, Claire is here to talk to us about life with ADHD. Um, Claire, firstly, thank you and welcome. Thank you for agreeing to come and share your experience with us today. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Um, so, Claire is here to share her lived experiences, but her journey has not been straightforward. Um, and it isn't for the majority of people with a neurodiversity. She wasn't diagnosed until she was in her 40s and she was two years postpartum with her second child. So Claire had lived her whole life without any diagnosis or real support for the ADHD that she was born with. But let me tell you a little bit about this fabulous lady. So Claire is a Kent girl born and bred. She's been many things from a filmmaker to a senior manager, a maternity advocate, and she's soon to be a teacher at her local comprehensive school in her beautiful hometown of Sittingbourne. She's got two children, one husband, and a sausage dog that keep her very busy. And in her spare time, if she does have any, she has found a love for period dress sewing. She says that one day she wishes she could write a novel as good as Persuasion. So before we dive into the ADHD thing, Claire, I've got two questions for you. First is, what's your sausage dog called? Oh, she's called Daphne. Oh she's my- absolutely bonkers. <laughs> I really want a sausage dog and I keep trying to encourage my husband to get one. And he's like, no, I don't know if they've got the right temperament. So should we get one? Yes. Amazing. I'm going to talk to you about this later because you have to be home a lot. You have to take them with you everywhere. Right. But they are basically just, they are like your little shadow. They're beautiful. And also I know an amazing breeder. So when you want (gasps) one, you can tell me. Okay, that's it. Sold. If my husband's listening to this, we are getting a sausage dog. Um, Amazing. And the second question was persuasion. Fantastic novel. Obviously, Jane Austen. What is it you love about persuasion? Well, so it's a really, it's a, it's me being a bit coy. So it's a quote from Cold Comfort Farm. Mm -hmm. um, And I love it. She always says, one day I'm going to write a novel as good as persuasion. And I've always said, one day I am actually going to write that novel. So I'm halfway through think about my third book um and yeah what I'm gonna get it published I'm gonna do it first but I've just gotta actually find that hyper focus (laughs) and the time and finish it so yeah watch out world 
I love that for you. And you heard it here first, by the way, when Claire is absolutely enormously famous for her book. Please do cycle back to The Way Forward because, you know, she revealed it here first. Um, Okay, so they were the questions that I needed answering first. So I guess the first question that I would like to kick off with today, Claire, is um, a couple of definitions because... I always like to ensure that myself, my guests, and of course, our incredible listeners have a shared understanding of exactly what we're talking about. So could you please tell us what we mean by neurodiversity first, and then give us a bit more of a definition around ADHD, please? So I'm a useless person to ask on the neurodiversity front, because I don't, I, I'm always really worried about getting wrong, getting it wrong, because diversity, right, that is loads of differences and I feel like if I kind of <laughs> say the wrong thing there's going to be someone out there who's like well hang on that's not me mm. so I always get really kind of nervous about sort of defining that I mean neuro means something to do with the brain and diversity means difference so I would argue that it's just you have a slightly di- you have a different brain from what we would put in and I'm doing like air commas here normal people yeah I see Does what that you makes mean. sense that's sort of how I would define it but it's so broad it is. And I think it's encompassing it's encompassing more and more now, isn't it, I think? Yeah, which is a really good thing because we're realizing mm. that the almost, you know, sort of normal brain is actually a, a much smaller sector of society. And as as you say, the neurotypical normal is in inverted commas. Um so yeah, it is. It's becoming more and more recognized that there are so many differences within the brain and these are those neurodiversity. So I think actually, even though you were a bit worried about that, that's a really helpful start point. So how would you define ADHD within that? So technically, it's a condition that has symptoms like restlessness, impulsivity, trouble concentrating. Um, as far as I know, it's sort of a lot of it tends to kind of happen in the part of the brain that manages something called executive function so those are the kind of what you think of executive don't you You think of sort of a person in a business dress Mm. in a business suit and that for me perfectly sums it up my business suit just doesn't just doesn't quite work (laughs) the way that a lot of other people's business suits do I mean I've always looked terrible in the suit anyway so there we are but um so there are various types you've got inattentive you've got hyperactive impulse and then you have combined types so three main types and obviously it can be quite complex because I think it's really difficult. A lot of people tend to say, oh, yes, I am an inattentive type. And other people say, I'm a hyperactive impulse or I'm a combat. And I'm, I just think, oh, Lord, I don't even know what I am. Uh, yeah. <laughs> something vaguely. I'm in, in there that somewhere. Pool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But yeah, you can you can treat it with talking therapy. You can treat it with medication. Um, but it's it's a re- it's a really weird one. I, I think it's definitely on. I mean, I always make the joke that you know, people with ADHD, we all tend to flock together. So quite a few of my friends, I look at them and I think, mm, yeah, mm. there's a reason that we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you do. Um, obviously, I've got plenty of friends who don't have ADHD, but th- there are certain ones that we just we get together and we just don't stop talking and nattering. And we go on to about 89 million different subject types. And I'm sat there thinking, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you're, you're, you're with me on this one. Yeah. Um, I think that it gives us a really sort of lovely um, definition of what ADHD is and also a little flavour of what life with ADHD is like. Um, Because I think sometimes, as you say, we can get bogged down in the kind of dictionary medical 
definitions of it, but actually living with ADHD, which um, is really what we we want to know about, is something that is very multifaceted, multi-textured and experiential. And I would love it if you would, to take us back to your own journey to diagnosis before we get into that day-to-day impact? Sure. So I was uh, I was quite lucky. I mean, I, I come from a really sort of solid family background. Um, my dad's a local optometrist and my mum was a, she was a social worker, then an adoption officer. So she obviously had sort of a background in um, sort of psychology, but it was very much household where I don't know how to say this because I don't want to do my parents down because they always listen to my worries and my concerns. But some mental health, it wasn't really a thing. Does that make sense? I, I think a lot of people who lived in a boomer household got that. Yeah. I, um, because I think our parents just got on with it very yeah. much. And I think um, as well, sorry to butt in, but I, tot- I think that's no. a massively valuable point because it is hard when we know our parents were doing the absolute best with the information they'd got, but then we reflect back and think, oh, but all this was going on and they didn't know about it. But that was because they were working with what they'd got. Um, So I completely understand what you're saying there. I mean, I think on my mum's side, you know, she was working with, with, you know, children who had been through absolute hell. So Mm. for her, probably the scale was, you know, I was okay. I was fine in comparison to those kids. Mm. Yeah, and I can so I can I can see that as a parent now I go oh well I get that, but the awareness just was I mean you know bless her heart now she's sort of going, well you know we definitely got you the dyslexia diagnosis but it, you know we just we didn't know what that was and I'm, I'm there going mum it's, it's fine of course <laughs> you didn't, <laughs> um, but I had I had a really really wonderful childhood I mean an incredible childhood and I was very bright I got put up a year in school which you know at the time probably made sense but doesn't. I think I think probably would have been better if I hadn't, um, because obviously, one thing about the ADHD is you do you are a bit more immature than your peers, and obviously being a year behind everyone that probably wasn't very helpful. No. Um, but I was sort of you know school reports. I mean, loads of your listeners who have got ADHD or are seeking a diagnosis will know this. You know, has so much potential but could do better. Spends so much time in her own head. Would be better if she was concentrating needs to work a bit harder at this, you know, could do really well, has so much potential. So all of those sort of things were coming out of my report mm. um, at the time. Um, and then I sort of struggled with with some bullying at, at my um, my first school and then moved over into, onto a different school and got a really solid group of friends who were just great. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really do much work for GCSEs, but kind of passed them really well. And then A-level, I did well at the subjects that I loved but not so well at subjects that I didn't yeah. love, which again, a lot of your listeners will recognize that. But looking back, the place where it really fell apart was in university because that's where we know know each other. It certainly and, is, yeah. Yeah. So if I can explain to listeners, Fliss and I met when we I just decided that we were going to put on a play of Alice in Wonderland and <laughs> adapted the script myself and then we put it on and we had this ridiculously enormous cast. Now, I should have been doing university work then. <laughs> And I, yeah. I didn't. I hyper, I hyper focused on a play, and that you know there was very little guidance in university. You were very much told to get on with it, and that's an absolute disaster mm. for people who are neurodiverse. Often, I think because you do need guidance, you miss that structure that you had in school, 
And I, I sort of came out of university with a 2-2. It, you know, it was fine. I think it's a miracle I got a 2-2, to be perfectly honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the play was a... amazing. Can I just say to everyone that the play was so much fun. I mean, really, it was great. It was. I mean, I, do I... Sorry, I'm, I'm tangent here, but do I remember rightly, didn't we watch the England win the Rugby World Cup final and then do a rehearsal? And, and yeah, everybody had been did. drinking pints since about <laughs> 6 a.m. And it was just ridiculous. It was so much fun. I it really it. was. Loved like, it. And that's the sort of thing that I really thrive on. You know, oh, let's put a play together with no money and just make it mm, work. Yeah, yeah. Enough, you know, mm. um, with all the time in the world that you have to do that, of course. Oh, okay. um, But yeah, it's, I mean... I'm looking back, I did, I've done that so much. You know, my GCSE season was meant, was meant to be revising. I wrote a book that I wrote an 80,000 page fantasy novel. Wow. When I should have been revising for my GCSEs and I just look back and go, oh my God. Oh, wow. You know, it's not good, is it? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yes. And then my career has been, you know, I went on, I did an MA in filmmaking, which I really enjoyed. But, you know, it was very much kind of because I didn't really know what else to do really mm. and I was lucky I got a bursary so you know I went to the London Film School and and I and I loved it but I don't think my heart was particularly in it um but it was a really structured MA so it was very vocational so I really thrived in that but yeah. and then I've had all sorts of different careers the longest one was when I was a, a senior manager um at a women's charity and then unfortunately I did get constructively dismissed which is a huge irony coming from a women's charity but um them's the breaks um and then was got involved with something called the maternity voices partnership and I worked with two incredible women um uh one lady called Haley. she's a, a headmistress at a primary school in Oxfordshire and Louise who is a doula and she is chair of Oxfordshire maternity voices partnership mm. and I mean the respect I have for these women was incredible I was their vice chair and we got really close during COVID because I was pregnant during COVID with mm. Fitz, my little one. And yeah, we just, we just all bonded. We were, the, the hospital sort of didn't really seem to know what to put out and the midwives were getting really frustrated because there was no communication. So we just sort of set up our own communication between the midwives and the, and the parents. And it was just, it was magical. It really, it really was, it was a really hard time because COVID was dreadful for so mm. many, but it was also an incredibly productive time. Yeah, um, it gave that opportunity for to do dif different things, to do things differently. And, you know, especially with your work around MVP, which, you know, is incredible. You did make a hugely powerful um, change for good. Yeah, it, it was a really special part of it. But it was during one of those meetings when I was chatting away to Louise and she was like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm doing my nails. Oh, and I'm also doing this. And she just went, what? okay, <laughs> um, and, you're, and you're taking notes. I said, yeah. And she went, okay. I'm going to say this with love in my heart, but have you ever thought that you have ADHD? And I said, oh, don't be so ridiculous. And she went, no, right. go and look it up. And I looked it up. And you know when suddenly like you can just feel something go, oh, yeah. okay. And literally it was just, it was like everything fell into place. Um, and I thought, it explained so much as well. I had really crippling postpartum depression and anxiety and, mm. you know, nothing seemed to sort of necessarily make it bad I had all this talking therapy and I sort of felt I'm fine it has to be the hormones it has to be something kicking me off now and then sort of everything just fell into place once I started reading 
And yeah, yeah got, was really lucky. Got a, di- got a diagnosis relatively quickly on the NHS. I think I got the diagnosis within 18 months, which good. I don't think is normal. That's very um, good. Yeah. And and especially as it's, you know, coming later in life as well, because, um, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's a whole different um, aspect to that. Um, and I think that's such a powerful picture of spending all those years in all those different situations and feeling that, you know, things weren't quite right or you weren't quite hitting the mark or you didn't really know what you wanted to do. But then on the other hand, you were so good at all these different things, being able to do so many different things and hyper-focus on, you know, an 80,000-word novel um, and Mm. and such. Um, But I know that, you know, often neurodiversities are misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed and that can be really difficult. So could you sort of hone in even more and give us a little snapshot of a day in the life and where the ADHD part of you can impact for, for, for good or for bad? Yeah, so a really good example is many people get up and they have their routine, don't they? Yeah. They can usually wake up in the morning, which is something I cannot do that I found out is is a definite sort of ADHD thing because I, I find it really hard to motivate myself to go to bed. So I'm usually knackered. Mm. Um, I also have kids and the most <laughs> parents can also, you know, um, sort of, yeah, understand where I'm coming from there. Totally. But the majority of people, they go into a routine. And when I say routine, it's a routine that they've done every day. They know how it all works. They flow from one thing to another. Mm. And it wasn't until it was pointed out to me that I went, I don't have a routine. I go, oh, my face feels a bit. okay I'll wash my face okay oh right after I wash my face I go and I put on that serum and after I do that serum I put on that thing okay right what's good thing oh oh, there's my toothbrush right okay I'm going to clean my teeth okay because I have to clean my teeth because my teeth feel gross okay scrub 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 right I'm doing it all the right way got to remember to do that thing because it's there and I can see it um okay righty ho now I'm going to go into the you know and that's how my day goes there is no I move seamlessly from one thing to the other because that's my routine Ah. I have to be triggered on the routine and I have to, something has to trigger me. So, um, yeah, it's a much more conscious process of what's happening rather than, like you say, for me, I would get up, get out of bed, go into the bathroom, do all those things, go downstairs, make a cup of tea, etc. But I probably could do it, you know, almost blindfolded um, because I, I do it on autopilot. It's really like Um, illuminating for me to think of having to think about those things. But it is exhausting. And I think that's what I hadn't understood before is it is exhausting not being able to just go into autopilot. Yeah. And and honestly, I hadn't realised that. I don't want to over-dramatise it because obviously people have a much more exhausting life, you know, and and, and sort of things that are, are much harder to do in the morning. But you realise sort of after a while your brain just doesn't stop mm. reminding itself and triggering itself. And of course, if you don't see the thing or realise you have to do the thing, the thing does not exist. Yeah. So, so I can remember countless times when I was a kid. Um, you know, I used to always wear a necklace and you sort of get used, don't you, to have the having the feeling of something where because you also I don't know if anyone else is the same on here, but I tend to be quite sensory over really random things. Mm. So when I was a kid, I used to always wear a necklace and I can remember I'd taken the necklace off for something and left it off. And I couldn't bear the feeling of not wearing, like not having that familiar weight on my neck. Mm. Because I I'd, you know, I I just hadn't, even though I'd been next to my bed, I just hadn't 
thought put it back on and then I just couldn't bear it all day yeah and I can remember as soon as I got home just putting this necklace on just being like oh thank goodness yeah just what the difference that makes yeah, yeah. so um but you know certain things as well like I mean time just doesn't really seem to exist I mean I think lots of people have this I'm not saying this is a purely ADHD thing but certainly time just doesn't seem to exist in the same way no um you know, I, I have to be constantly reminding myself, setting reminders, making sure I'm, I can't relax even for one minute. If I've got a busy day, I cannot relax. I have to just. Does that keep feel myself... quite overwhelming then on a on, on a regular yeah. basis? Does that feel like you know a, a, that sense of overwhelm and anxiety that we all get when we we've got a lot of things on? Is that quite a you know a constant thing for you? I mean, I think I experienced it most this Christmas. And again, I'm not saying this is an ADHD thing, but I am saying that it's an overwhelm thing. Mm. Um, I've never in my life had a brain that is so full that people keep firing dates at you oh. and you just go, aha, and you just let it slide off you. It's like having kind of glass over your brain. You're like, I can't take any more in. So you can throw it at me, like throw the egg at me and the yolk's going to kind of slide off my mm. brain and collect in this tray. And then I'm going to sort all the scrambled, awful bits out later. Yeah, because I can't even face like looking at the message, working out when that date is, talking to Rich to see if that's a date that we can do <laughs> as a family, and then getting back. I can't, just couldn't. It's too and much. I've never had that before. That was a surprise. So um, yeah, I, I would say yeah. I mean, whether or not that's just family overwhelm, or whether that's it's probably you know, an reverse ex- overwhelm. Yeah, like an exacerbation of it because it's it's such a busy time. But if you've if you've got a neurodiversity, that's going to you know sort of double the overwhelm. And it was really interesting that visual you gave me because it, I could almost feel the, the the stress of it as you were explaining it. And one thing I've heard, and I don't know if this is a generalization or you've experienced it, is that. People with ADHD have a tendency to be a people pleaser. Do you think that's correct? Have you got any experience around that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I've never quite fitted in in the standard way, but I always wanted to, you know, I always craved to be the sort of standard everyday person. (laughs) And then sort of when I was older, I kind of embraced the fact that I really wasn't that person. But I was never very comfortable with it, not until I was older. Yeah. But, um... I mean, it's just, yeah, it's really weird. Like stuff I realise I do know. I never realised how much I mirrored. So it wasn't until it's remarkable okay. how you suddenly go, oh my gosh, okay, this is interesting. So when people all laugh, I'll go, <laughs> and I'll be like, why am I laughing? It's not that funny. <laughs> oh, everyone else is laughing. I'm doing it now. No, and, no, no. And yeah. Literally, literally, that's what you do though. And, and and again, I'm sure that lots of people just do this consciously, but I've realised how much I do it to right. fit in. So people will start nodding and I'll go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. Even though I'm sat there thinking, why am I doing this? Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. Like, really, really weird. And, um, you know, definitely oversharing. Oh, my God. Sometimes I just be like, why am I telling you this? Like, why am I, why am I talking about this? This is not something that I should be talking about. Mm. Um, and I t- some of that is definitely that, you know, because I find it really difficult to think things through in my brain, I will think things out out loud ah right but you know the the person who you've only known for three weeks doesn't really need to hear you thinking a very (laughs) private thing out loud so you know that that can go really wrong um but yeah it's um another thing that yeah being a people pleaser also is if I find I like someone especially now it's, it's actually quite lonely moving to a new area when you're in your 
well, I think it's quite lonely moving to a new area from after university, isn't it, really? Because mm, yeah. university, you just make friends so easily. And, and there's a real bond there. But, you know, I don't live near any of my close friends from uni. And, and I'd be lying if I said I haven't been really lonely in the last few years. Yeah. Um, and I've just sort of started making friends with some of the mums at my daughter's school. And yeah, I, do wor- I do worry sometimes. Rich says, oh, babes, come on, pull back. You're coming on a bit strong here. And I'm like, oh, my God, I really am. <laughs> <laughs> But, and you just think, oh, my God, I'm coming across as absolutely obsessed with you. I've just sent you three messages asking for play dates. And they do, I mean, I'm really lucky with the mums that I know because I, I, they seem to kind of understand that it's not being me being weird. It's just, that's yeah. just me. But, you know, with the wrong person, that could be a bit, yeah, that could be a little um, yeah, strange. Yeah, it's, it's like all these obstacles you have to sort of think about in the social context when you've got an extra thing to, you know, consider in your in your makeup. Um, so I guess my next question really is, how do you then move away from being a people pleaser to ensuring that you please yourself you know that must be incredibly challenging if your natural way is to be a people pleaser how do you ensure you get what you need Mm, I think it's really difficult because I think you ask most parents of small children that and the answer is always going to be well I don't because I think I don't know I think we're in this weird stage of parenting at the moment where you're you're not encouraged in general to please yourself yeah like it is all about the children which I think is very dangerous actually because I think children are very resilient and while I'm in no way saying that you should <laughs> leave your children alone <laughs> and go to the spa you know they will cope with and they should cope with time away from you yeah um and I do worry that you know a lot of the generation I mean when I was little we'd at five, you'd just be dropped off to a party and your parents would just go. Oh, you yeah. Know, that was quite standard, yep. you know, whereas now it's, you know, people do worry. They say, you know, a lot of the parents will say, oh, I'm not sure they're going to be OK without me. And I don't know. I mean, while I completely think that you shouldn't just dump your kid crying at a party, I, I feel like maybe that's something that, that could be worked on a little bit. But anyway, sorry, I'm digressing slightly, aren't I? No, no, um, no. I think but, there's a there's a good point in that because it, it is about that idea that we are almost um it's our own anxieties that we are then adding into our own parenthood and therefore you know we do um have this dreaded fear of you know getting it wrong and the lasting impact it will have on our children which comes from a you know a place of goodness but we wear it as almost a martyrdom and all we're doing actually is really draining ourselves and we're not helping them to have this you know resilience this emotional resilience so I totally hear you no it's this and you know I I have a huge respect for um is it responsive parenting and I and I you know I've, I follow a lot of things but what I like to do is is take a situation I like to run it through what I like to call my <laughs> I like to run it through my boomer sort of my boomer scope as mm-hmm. in how would the boomers have done it and then I try and add a responsive parenting angle onto it where I oh, go okay nice. there's a middle ground here somewhere like, I mean I was I was looking at one post that was on Instagram that was you know a really worthy post fantastic blogger um and they have a lot of things to say. They run a, a sort of a business where they kind of 
you know set up stuff and, and advice for parents but you know one of it was like oh well your child is not your therapist and you shouldn't be sharing this and I thought actually do you know what no when their dad is being an absolute pig I'm gonna say right daddy's being an absolute pig right now. Because <laughs> I'm laughing I, because why, um yeah yeah I'm just I'm why just should nodding. I sit on that you know I, I'm not using my child as a therapist I'm not asking for my child's opinion on whether daddy's being a pig but I'm saying I'm quite cross with your father right now. I love him, but it's okay to be cross with someone that you love. Yeah. You know, and to say that that behavior isn't appropriate to someone that you love. 100%. But then talk about it later. Mm. And, you know, so I think I'm not, I don't think they were saying you should be hiding. No. Those things, but the way that they had put it suggested that you should be hiding those things. Does that make sense? Yeah, it completely so, does. Yeah, it really does. And I think, and that all adds to the pressure. Yes, you know that that is one thing that I think you've got a really um, focused insight on because you are a parent yourself with two fabulous children, um, and I, I have fabulous children also but they come with pressures challenges and perils as we've talked about that you know the fact that we're constantly terrified that you know something terrible may happen um so when you juggle that in with all the amazing things that come from being a mum what is the biggest impact that ADHD has had on your parenting uh you can't burn out which is a big part of ADHD you have these areas where which I hadn't realized either I just assumed that I was lazy um so you have burnout which is when you you will literally just walk into a room that is so messy and you're just I can't I just, I just can't and you'll just sit down and you'll just sit down all day and do nothing mm. like nothing and and then hopefully you'll be okay after that and you can't do that when you're a parent because Gosh. someone has to make the food someone has to go shopping someone has to do uh, you know, someone has to hoover, otherwise everybody gets bits of cereal in their feet. You know, it's mm. it just doesn't work like that. So you push through that burnout and then I think it makes it worse. And that then knocks on to like, the thing that I, I honestly think your 40s, they always say your 40s are the, the hardest decade of your life. Mm. And I think it's a combination, which I know we're going to talk about later, but um, I think there's a combination of your body starting to fall apart and having children sort of maybe between two and sort of 15 yeah. majority of people you know who have kids are probably going to have kids between two and 15 in their 40s and I think that oh and of course menopause which we haven't talked about yes um oh so yes. we haven't sorry about that I'll say that again please you can edit that bong out um mm. and of course menopause that we haven't talked about as well so I think that is um all of that then sort of adds to the relationship with your partner becoming very strained because although I, I don't buy into this idea, well, what do they call it? I, I'm afraid I'm afraid I'm <laughs> I'm in the firm no camp on the men having a menopause. Um, I'm sure men do have hormonal changes, but this is a bit of a thing at the moment. And I can't remember Andrew, Andrew pause. And, you know, I suppose the cynical part of me is like, I want to hear you, men. I want to listen to you. But also, no, you're not going through anything like what the menopause is. No. Um, but they are going through their own stuff. And oh, their own of course. Changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and add on to that exhaustion and, you know, the sort of sense that possibly people aren't pulling their weight, maybe in certain ways. That's definitely the main thing that my husband and I bicker about mm. is you haven't done this. You haven't done that. Why has this not been done? 
And we don't help ourselves because we could just have structured job roles and we don't need really to do that. Um, we probably should do that, note to self. Yes, um, little note. And I, I prefer that because, of course, I like the structure. If I know what I have to do, I can do it. Yeah. If I don't know what I have to do, if it's nebulous and hazy and vague, it's a disaster. And that's the thing with adulthood, so, isn't it? You know, it's just just an an endless kind of decision making process with no, um, you know, no notebook that comes and goes. Right, this is what you need to do at this time. And and so, for you, that must be really overwhelming. Yeah, and I think, yeah, you just sometimes find yourself going, "What am I doing?" My main thing is, you know, I always say this to to my husband. He's sort of, you know, come home and, uh, you know, very often when I get home with the kids, it's usually quite late because I work in a school and uh, which, by the way, is fantastic for me because it's so structured. Mm, yes. <laughs> it's brilliant. I know yes. exactly what my role is. I know exactly what I'm doing and I never get bored because it changes all the time. Frustrated, yes, but not bored. Mm. Um, but we get home quite late and, you know, in general, they'll have a snack in the car or I'll, I'll bring a, a sandwich to feed them in the car. You know, quite often we'll get home. We're all knackered and actually, you know, I will just toast them a hot cross bun. Mm. They'll have a hot cross bun with some fruit and vegetables on the side and a piece of cheese. Actually, yeah. to me, there is nothing wrong with that, you know. Is it better to be feeding them chicken nuggets and chips as a meal in inverted commas? I don't particularly think so. Mm. And I, I, I've sort of, that's very much where I cope, which is it's not going to kill my children if they have, you know, the odd completely random meal. In fact, they seem to quite like it, my kids. They eat a lot. They eat raw vegetables far better than cooked vegetables. Oh, yeah. We, we, we call it, it picnic tea. Oh, let's have a, or a yeah. party tea. Let's have a party tea. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I'm going to need to use that. Yeah, we call it picky tea. Yeah, you see, we're, we're on the same page. We're on the same page. No, I, yeah. I completely, completely. And we need to be, we need to be compassionate with ourselves and say, Do you know, that's okay. I'm doing my best here. And actually, it's a pretty rounded thing when you consider, it, like you say, what the alternative could be classed as an actual meal might not be anywhere near as good for them. But it, it's these social perceptions, I think. It really is. And it's balancing up those things of, you know, we have a fairly long lift to school and we uh, share lifts with a friend who lives around the corner. Um, and we, you know, she tends to, in the morning, she gets the boys to school on time. And the way that she does it is she takes toothbrushes and toothpaste and they have their breakfast on a plate in the car on days when they're running late. And I've started doing that now. I'm like, well, why are we obsessing with pushing them? Yep. Come on, you've got to eat your breakfast. Come on, you've got to put your shoes on. Actually, do you know what? This is ridiculous. Just give them their breakfast in the car. They've got half an hour in the car, but they're staring out the window. Yeah. Like, you What's know, it's the, the well, just hoover the car, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think there are definite kind of, I think the hard times are when I'm really tired and I just, I haven't got the energy to hmm. be as active as I would have liked. Um, and I think that's hard for me because I, I always thought I'd be, you know, this really imaginative mum who'd be like down on the floor playing with them. I'm not, I'm really not. I'm quite disappointed in myself, actually. <laughs> well, don't be disappointed in yourself because I was I was going to add into that, that as somebody who has chronic health conditions and a chronic pain illness, I completely understand what you're saying because, you know, equally, I'm a creative like you are. And I had great visions of the kind of, you know, Julie Andrews skipping through the fields kind of parenting. And yeah, that that needs to stop. Um, um, because I know, as I'm now in my 40s, that as we alluded to before, our bodies 
they don't work as well as they did when we were 18. And things do change. And you can't know how that feels till you get there. You can't see that impact on the outside. And I wonder what, you know, you would say is your biggest struggle in terms of how you're affected as you are when I say aging, as in just getting older, um, what? How do you think ADHD plays into that aging cycle? I mean, I'm pretty chill about. I was never one of those sort of, you know, beautiful people who you know turned heads. So I feel like kind of aging has just been a, oh, I'm just me, just getting a little bit more sort of floppy. Um, I think that's but... really unfair. <laughs> I always thought you were strikingly beautiful, actually. That is exactly oh gosh, how I'd I describe never felt you. It. My God. I think because I never had the sort of, you know, very, what was it? It was very fashionable, wasn't it? The, in the early noughties, it was that kind of very petite. Oh, yeah. head, sort of, you yeah. know. Small, um, combat trouser skinny. wearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yes. yes. Girl band look. Yeah, totally. Yes, it was that very much that look. And I definitely never had that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think with the... Uh, Mostly frustrated. I feel, yeah, I feel quite, I felt really frustrated. I mean, certainly after I had my diagnosis, I think I went through a real kind of grief process because mm. I really felt sad for little me. I just thought, oh no, little Claire spent all that time just desperately trying to please everyone. And I never could understand why. Yeah. And now I sort of understand it and I never, I don't want to use it as an excuse. And it's very difficult to them when you do something wrong, not wrong. Do you know what I mean? You do something I do, that's yeah. perceived as a mistake or wrong and you go oh god it's the idea and then you're like well I can't blame it or I don't want to sound like I'm blaming it all on the ADHD but it is probably because of the ADHD so it's, it's a difficult one but yeah it's not yeah, an excuse I mean, it's a reason it's not an excuse it's a reason and you know it will play into every area of your life you can't you can't stop that yeah it's difficult I mean I got diagnosed with it's just like oh god Fliss. it's like it was like I hit 35 and everything started going downhill yeah um so I developed hip dis- well I haven't developed hip dysplasia I had hip dysplasia turned out when I was born it's another thing that my poor mother was like oh god but you were checked and I was like it's mm. fine don't worry um so I've at some point I've got to have a hip replacement um mm. and I've had all this dental work done and then I'm most likely celiac but because I haven't eaten wheat since I'm 18 they can't say for sure so I have to have vitamin b12 shots and and the ADHD feeds into all of that because you know, I muck up appointments, don't I? Oh, <laughs> and I, yeah. And I miss appointments and, you know, and then I'll I'll have an appointment and I know I've got to go to the appointment, but I really, I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't be bothered. And you're like, I have to go. I have to go. And unless I'm in a certain position, like if I, if I had a B12 injection, it's a terrible thing to say because I have so much respect for the NHS. I would rather cancel it an hour before than have to wash my hair, get ready and go out just for that appointment. Yeah, that's a, I, I can relate to that in a different way. But yeah, I can absolutely relate to that. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, I don't know, it's, I, yeah, it's a difficult one, really, in terms of ageing. But I mean, it definitely gets worse, apparently, around the menopause, around sort of big mm, hormonal... Hormone change. Yeah, there's really good evidence for that. There's some really interesting papers on that and like the menopause wasn't hard enough you know let's just 
add in some ADHD for you to deal with. Yeah. Because it, but this it, is why it's so important to get these diagnoses. I mean, one thing that I did after I had this amazing doctor in Oxfordshire um, at my GPs and she was absolutely phenomenal. And I emailed her afterwards and just went, because I can remember phoning her when I was pregnant with Fitz going, it's happening again. I can't do this again because the intrusive thoughts with Artemis and the obsession were just awful. Mm. And, you know, started just crying randomly for no reason. And I phoned up the GP and went, I can't do this again. And she went, okay, come on in. Let's get you over to the perimenopause team. And I emailed her afterwards and said, look, I think this would be interesting. You know, um, having obviously hyper-focused and found every single, you know, um, paper that I could possibly find um on ADHD and sort of looking at all the science behind it and especially around women and hormones I even wrote a blog post I I have a I have a really um unread blog um Ooh. that um I do yeah cool, T- tell I us where wrote. to find it where do we find it Claire oh gosh okay so it's got it's got a slightly, slightly rude name because okay. my friend said we need to be uh, we need to be owning the name but it's mm. it's clever and then it's spelled C-N-T-S okay. <laughs> so it's and it's uh, yeah it's all about your body and I Basically, when I, again, we're talking about hyperfocus, which is definitely a part of ADHD, you get really, really obsessive about something. And when I was trying to get pregnant with Artemis, it took about nine months and then we had about three miscarriages. So I started off hyperfocusing on, mm. I started hyperfocusing on getting pregnant. Then I hyperfocused on miscarriage. And then while I was, you know, sort of getting pregnant and losing these babies, I thought, well, I might as well use this. And I started hyperfocusing on all the best kinds of pregnancy tests and all that sort of stuff. So it's all there on the blog, wow. all my crazy hyperfocus. Um, but I did do a blog post on ADHD and hormones. Yeah. And there's just some very good evidence to say that if you have a girl, especially because boys are not affected in the same way, if you have a girl, and you think she has ADHD and it doesn't necessarily show in the same ways that it will show in boys. And it can be really quite unusual. Mm. Um, so, again, you know, a lot of dreaminess, just not really paying attention very much, loses focus in the middle of a task, which I know is most five year olds. But, you know, your own kids. So, you know, when yeah. it's more than sort of all their friends seem to be doing. The usual. Um, yeah. 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 Completely. You know, a, especially with my daughter, this sort of obsession with very inappropriate climbing. Like she almost has to climb. It's like a compulsion. Mm. Um, uh, but very bright, very clever, you know, gorgeous kid, just emotionally so kind of on the ball. Uh, but it's really important to, if you feel that they have ADHD, get them a diagnosis because when they hit puberty, that's when things start getting really hard for them. And things will start getting worse for girls at puberty, whereas for boys, it's often before puberty. Okay, that's um, interesting. And it's much more subtle with girls, much more subtle. So, you know, if you're a girl and you develop ADHD, you are far more likely to, basically, you're far more likely to go off the rails than a boy. Mm. Because you're trying to people please, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to mirror, you're trying to do all this stuff. And you will possibly fall in with the wrong people. And then, you know, you have everything else like the often, you know, financially people with ADHD really struggle to control their finances because they have this impulsivity mm. and because they get these dopamine hits when they buy something, it gives them the dopamine hits and then that's very addictive. So, you know, it's, it's a really important thing. And then, of course, you know, when you have children, nobody ever tells you how much that's affected by your ADHD Mm. um and for me it was you know a lot of depression which I just assumed was postnatal depression yeah but never like it hit it never felt like it fitted in the MO do you know what I mean for for, yes I do um 
so it made a lot of sense on that and then of course the menopause so all these big hormonal milestones of your life you you need to have and the studies back this up every single study backs this up it says girls need that support and women they need that support through the milestones and if you have that diagnosis you get that support if you do not have that diagnosis you don't right so for me that diagnosis is important to protect you to look after you so you will have access to that support oh my goodness that Um, is that is just so hard-hitting and and eloquent and I think if anybody listening feels that they or somebody they know or their child could have ADHD that is the call to action isn't it that is the you know they will go through these milestones they will have these hormonal changes and they're big enough on their own anyway to experience that what you need is the support because if you do have ADHD it's going to make it a lot lot harder to go through that if you haven't got the support so I always love to finish off Claire with a bit of empowerment because that is what we are about and I do feel empowered talking to you if you could give our listeners um something to take away from our illuminating chat today that they could that they could do um aside from go to your blog because I absolutely think I'm going to be reading it so I would urge people to do so (laughs) um I'm very interested in that information um for sure but if you could give them just one thing that they could do today or think about today regarding either themselves or someone they love if they're wondering about ADHD or even you know if anything you've said has kind of pinged a light bulb and and they've thought, gosh, you know, I've been going along without any help and thinking this is just me, could you give them any advice to kind of round off our conversation for today? Um, yeah, I think it it doesn't define you and it doesn't define who you are as a person. It's important to take into consideration, but it doesn't define you as a person. On the other hand, you need to access all of the help that you can get for it. So one of the things, it, it, a lot of people with ADHD will often feel that they, they're they not a proper adult. That's what I hear a lot. I see a lot mm. is I'm not a proper adult. And I'm sat there thinking, well, hang on a second. What is a proper adult? When yeah. did we start thinking that there was one way of doing all of this? Like, this is mad. Like, this is absolutely mad. But don't look at what people think is suitable for you and what you think you should be doing do what works for you like if you know that you have to earn a certain amount of money and you know that you have to get a job that's going to earn a certain amount of money that's great do that if you find yourself starting to wander from that job two three years later don't worry move on it's not the end of the world it's an obsession with you know we have to do this for our career progression Mm. well Yes, but if that's going to make you miserable and that's going to make you ill, then you need to do what works for you. It, like There is no such thing as one career anymore now. No. We all move around. Everybody moves around from one thing to the other. So utilize what you're good at. And when you find your focus starts slipping and you think, actually, I'm done with this, it's okay to move on and do something else. Oh my goodness, I could literally leap through the screen and hug you. That is just <laughs> honestly, I like I'm I'm so fired up by that because 
we do live in this world where we we've got this you know like you say this vision of what a proper adult looks like and we have to stay in a job even if it makes us miserable which makes no sense um and there are so many different ways that we can be parents that we can be partners that we can be children that we can be workers um that we can be friends uh, all of those things have many many different ways and i just think your insights honesty and you have this tangible determination for life Claire and it's all just so hopeful and I think anybody listening will have taken something away from that and definitely a sort of motivation that their life the way they live it is absolutely valid and is worth doing so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on and being so honest and sharing so um candidly with us today Claire thank you oh you're so welcome thanks for having me on not at all and that is a wrap for this week but of course if you are listening and you want to work on anything relating to your emotional wellness and empowerment in a fully supported way then just head over to my website it's codesignwithfliss.com and get in contact we can talk more about creating the future you hope for thank you so much for listening today now we know more about adhd And now we know the way forward.